Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me, as always, is Ben Sawyer, the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group, and Lisa Council, who is the Chief Commercial Officer. We are privileged to have once again this week Dr. David Gifford with us. He is the Senior Vice President, Quality and Regulatory Affairs for the American Healthcare Association. He focuses on post-acute long-term care. Dr. Gifford is a primary care physician himself and also a gerontologist. And we invited him back because, boy, we talked about some good stuff last week, Ben. We did. And um, there are, for the listeners who listened last week, there are five topics we're going to dive into today. The first is innovation. Then we're going to get back into payment models. We're going to talk a little bit about quality as a focus to be able to drive efficiency and and more meaningful care. And then we're going to finish with the last two topics that are linked, which is the challenge of leadership and workforce engagement. So we had a lot to cover today. So Dr. Gifford, welcome back. Thanks again for being on the second show. Thank you. Let's kick this off with the topic of innovation. So many people have heard the phrase, necessity is the mother of all invention. And that's the context that we want to take for innovation. So we have uh, coming up on November 15th, the radio show, we have uh, Dr. Morton Hansen, who is the author of Great at Work. He also is the co-author of Great by Choice with Jim Collins. Very, very sharp, very articulate guy. And we've gotten to know uh, Morton because he's been a keynote at our CEO roundtables that we provide. In his book, Great at Work, he has seven principles that really make leaders and organizations most effective. And the first one is do less and then obsess. And without compromising his story, he references the race to the South Pole with that and tells the basis for why Roald Amundsen won versus Robert Falcon Scott. And it came down specifically to that. What Roald had to do is find out and innovate on what was the best way to be able to traverse the some 800 miles and climbing a 10,000 foot ice cliff to get to the South Pole. And it was the basis of win or lose. So necessity was the mother of invention. He figured it out. We'll have Morton tell you that story when he comes on on November 15th. But the point of the matter is that innovation which we ended with in our conversation last week, has a lot to do with the progression of quality and efficiency and payment models and all those kinds of things. So, so Dr. Gifford, maybe you could kind of kick us off with that, some of your thoughts about the importance and impact of innovation. I think innovation is really key, and particularly how we're going to meet the needs of the aging elderly in this country with a decreasing workforce and limited resources. It's absolutely going to be necessary. Though I I think, you know, the correlate to that innovation is also stealing shamelessly from others unsuccessful things that are going on. I mean, once he figured out how to get to the South Pole, I think I'd borrow his technique rather than learning myself. Plagiarism is fine. Yes, yes, plagiarism is fine. You know, I think in our sector, uh, which is long-term care, nursing homes, assisted living, you know, our challenge is the diminishing workforce. 
you know, we have many facilities that are in rural areas. Uh, people are moving in, young. People are moving into the cities. Uh, there's just fewer young people to, uh, willing to work in this in this sector, and so you need to come up with different models uh, that are care and out there. Uh, and then just distances of travel are hard. So, you know, one of the things we've seen is that while it's hard to find nurses, there's a lot of care that doesn't require nurses in a facility. And so we've seen uh, individuals really look at um, what are called like hall monitors, where someone is just walking up and down the hall, being able to quickly answer call lights for because most of the call lights are I need a drink of water, I right. you know I, I need the blanket pulled up over me, and then in the course of that interaction, you get a sense of what's happening out there, and and as a they interact with the nurses, they can say, well, I've been in there, she doesn't look quite the same, and so we've really seen that change, but. That allows you to uh, not have to figure out how to hire more nurses to do non-nursing work and improves nurses out there. So we've seen things like that in the innovation side. I think people tend to gravitate to technology when they think about innovation. Um, And I purposely didn't want to lead with that um, because, you know, often I see people thinking of technology as a solution to the problem rather than identifying what is the problem and asking, is technology going to fix it? Mm-hmm. Right. Though what we have seen in innovation is um, telemedicine right. in our sector. As I said, a lot of rural facilities can't get doctors out there. They need a specialist. Uh, we're now with telemedicine and video conferencing, you can do a lot of much more effective telemedicine and get access to healthcare providers that you normally wouldn't. And so I think that's a, another area we're seeing a movement. But Some of the payment models really get in the way of that. Right. So speaking of that, um, in terms of payment models from last week's conversation, I know you had some follow-up thoughts and questions. I did. I was very intrigued from last week's conversation. You actually called out, Dr. Gifford, that there were three states that were linking payments to quality, Florida, Tennessee, and Utah. Can you tell tell the audience a little bit about uh, what they're doing and if they leverage Baldridge as part of that process? Well, yeah, those three states in particular, there's actually about half the states, a little more than half the states, tie some portion of their Medicaid payment for nursing homes to quality. But of those, only three of them use uh, achieving the Baldrige criteria. So if in those states you achieve the Baldrige and adopt the Baldrige criteria and are recognized as such, they will give you a slight uh, increase in your Medicaid payment rate there. So every state pays a nursing facility a daily rate to care for an individual. As we said last week, about two-thirds of all people in nursing homes are uh, have their stay being paid for by Medicaid because they've paid down all their assets at home and they don't have any uh, assets to care for. And so the state steps in and provides that care. And so in those states, if you achieve the silver or gold Baldridge or at the state Baldridge or the national Baldridge, they will bump your rate up by a few dollars a day, wow. which yeah, is significant great. when you have a lot of two-thirds of your residents are on Medicaid. Right. So, Lisa, we had uh, the lieutenant governor of Georgia on the radio show, Jeff Duncan, Jeff Duncan mm-hmm. and uh, I think you've been following up with the governor's office. Is that correct? Or I am. I am. So, you know, I'd like to get Georgia's name on that list. So we've been working with Mr. Kemp, who is our governor, to really get him involved. Um, mm-hmm. Jeff, as you mentioned Ben we have had on the radio show and he's got some key initiatives around innovation technology innovation from his perspective but healthcare and education um, healthcare and again lots of rural counties in Georgia 
um, lots of home home care and, and hospice care and nursing homes in the state of Georgia. So I think it would be a really lots great of next step. Yeah, for sure. So one of the other things, Dr. Gifford, that, that we talked about last week was the uh, misalignment of incentives in, some, in terms of some of these payment methodologies. You were describing how the patients for an acute care stay go on Medicare for a short stay, come off Medicaid, and then they go back on Medicaid after the first couple of weeks in the extended care facility. And so for states that have restrictive money. budgets, it's like, yeah, admit <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, take it, them to it, the it, hospital. It takes them off the Medicaid roll. Talk to us a little bit about just in general that yeah. fragmentation, right, in terms of payment models. I'll give you another example. So many states are looking to control their Medicaid costs for nursing home care. They look to maybe shifting into managed care because with the theory would be with better care coordination and more innovation in the payment models that there will be better quality, less hospitalizations, lower medication costs, better use of tests, because I think it was we talked last week too, more is not always better, particularly in the elderly. Right. And there's a lot of data to suggest that we uh, give too many medications and we do too many tests that lead to complications. The challenge, though, is all of the almost all the medication costs are covered under Medicare Part D. Most of the diagnostic tests are covered under Medicare Part B. And all the hospitalizations are covered under Medicare Part A. So those are all covered under Medicare. So improving quality by lowering hospitalizations, better use of medications, and better use of diagnostic tests saves Medicare money, but does not save Medicaid any money. Mm -hmm. So this idea of moving to managed care to save money, there's no savings. A lot of these programs have turned out not to have savings, yet the state pays an administrative fee to the managed care company to administer the program. And to do that, they have to take some money out of the money they send to the nursing homes because they think they're going to do the savings. So they've actually cut payments to the nursing homes, paid the managed care company, and saved Medicare money, but not the state any money. Uh, and so the loser is the provider, and the loser is the family out there. So you have this right. complete disconnect. Now, if you have some states are figuring out how to marry Medicare and Medicaid together, and in those models and innovation, now you've aligned the financial incentives, and now you see some really innovative issues, and you see a, a lot of movement in that direction to do that. So does that mean basically that the state becomes the adjudicator of the assigned Medicare revenues as, as opposed to it being adjudicated only at a federal level? Well, when they, when they link the two together? Yeah. Uh, no, it, it, it's, not, it's not quite that easy because of uh, certain federal and state laws, but um, it, what happens is the provider becomes sort of the beneficiary of some of the savings, and there's a shared savings model between the three. Got it. Now, everyone tends to get greedy, and everyone wants more savings, and some of these models have fallen apart between the federal government and the state trying to see who can get the most savings out of these models. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. So, um, Lisa, before we move off payment models, anything else from a follow-up? No, just as it relates to rural health, um, we do have an upcoming event next week, um, November 7th and 8th. We are doing, uh, in collaboration with the Baldridge Foundation, as well as University of Alabama, Birmingham, UAB, um, and that is a CEO roundtable for 20-ish um, CEOs that are rural health CEOs, and they're kind of all over the country, not in any one specific geography. So my guess is that nursing home and long-term care, those are going to be topics that are going to be discussed next week. 
Yeah, and, and David, you your organization has a lot of presence in rural health, right? Yeah, there's there's a little over 3,000 counties in the country, and there's a nursing facility in about 93% of them. And often in the, many of the rural counties, it's the only health care provider or the largest employer or both. And so some of our members really are asking, can we partner with the state Medicaid or Medicare for innovation, as we talked about, where you know they can use the facility, they often will have uh, transportation, they can offer meals, they can offer a place for people to come during the day for adult daycare, they could do home health because as the aides and nurses are traveling back and forth, they can stop at people's homes and check in on them. And so there is an opportunity, I think, to really sort of coordinate and create some innovations. Though, as we just talked about, some of the payment rules and some of the state licensing scope of practice rules get in the way of that. Right. There's a great program called the PACE program where it marries Medicaid and Medicare for people who are at home who need nursing home to uh, coordinate the care and do that. And I think we need to see more of those types of models. We have a number of our members who are looking at uh, models where they bring the Medicare and Medicaid together and they become their own managed care company and the provider themselves out there. And I think they see a lot more alignment uh, in the process. So I'm encouraged that we're moving in the right direction. I just would love to see us move faster. Right, exactly. That's a perfect segue, by the way, to topic number three, three. which is quality. And one of the things that you pointed out that actually ties to the payment model is that the Baldridge winners are often more effective and efficient and drive uh, even better uh, financial margins than other organizations that have are more flush with capital or access to funds uh, because they focus on efficiency and eliminating waste and and really creating even more meaningful care. Can we can you talk a little bit more about that, Dr. Gifford, in terms of how quality focus and the Baldridge framework can be foundational to gaining those kinds of efficiencies? Well, certainly, I think any business when they focus on what their primary you know, sort of product and service that they're offering and do it exceptionally well, they tend to almost always do and beat the competition and do much better. In our area, you know, the primary purpose is to achieve the best outcomes for the individuals in the facility that they're caring for. And what we see is those who are able to accomplish that and the Baldrige framework gives you a leg up on the competition to doing that, uh, do better. We researchers at the University of Wisconsin and University of Pittsburgh got together and they asked us for the list of who were our Baldridge winners and who were not. And then they compared those and looked at them, and they found that the winners did much better across the board in all areas. And it wasn't that they are better and got the award. It was that they looked back in time and showed that they were able to, you know, they started out similarly, but then as they pursued this Baldridge journey, they got better and beat the competition. We've seen that with some of the initiatives that the federal government has pushed on quality to do better prescribing of medications for people with dementia so it doesn't cause complications. Those who are Baldridge recipients have gotten much better and faster than the rest of the country, which has gotten better as well, but just better and faster out there. So uh, for some of our listeners that are running businesses, that may seem counterintuitive. In other words, they understand the complexity of the Baldridge, and it feels to them like lots of time and effort. 
and yet what they're hearing you say is if you pursue it, you actually are more efficient and better set up to be nimble and effective in a fast-changing environment. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, we've seen massive changes in our sector in the last five years. The new payment models, uh, new public reporting and five-star rating systems, new regulations, and our members who are silver and gold have been able to keep pace with that much better than the rest. It's, you know, it's, it's overwhelming to, for businesses to always be seeing different changes, and they've just been doing much more nimble. We've also seen some, unfortunately, give up on the journey, you know, progressing from bronze, silver, and gold, as we talked about, the three stage, the levels in the recognition program. And we've looked at those members who have stopped that journey, who haven't been applied to the next level and keep going. And we can see that their quality after they stop starts to drop off. And those who keep going, even though they don't get it, so many apply but are not recognized. Mm -hmm. It takes a couple of years, as you say. But I will, we, will, we will see just applying and not getting, actually you do better because of that. And verbally talking to our members, they all will say they're, they were disappointed they didn't get recognized, but they all were a better facility for applying than they were the year before. And we some hear, have kept at it two yeah, or three years. We hear that consistently. Again, yeah. if they recognize that it's the journey and it's not, the recipient, it's not receiving the award that matters. Yeah, so there's a concept here that we often refer to, which is the tyranny of the urgent so organizations get caught up in that. It's like, hey, I've got so many critical things I have to follow up. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm running around with my hair on fire. I don't have time to do all these processes and all this background work. It's sort of like a football team that's not willing to do blocking and tackling is a major part of their of their right. training, right? Because we gotta we gotta take that big, football down the down the field. We got a big competitor next week, and I don't have a lot of time for background, you know, training. It, so it's interesting that. That concept can seem very counterintuitive to people because they feel like they're on a treadmill that's speeding up and all they can focus on is the urgent. Everyone wants the flash-in-the-pan great quarterback, but they forget about the offensive line and doing all the basics uh, to protect that quarterback so he can pass down the field to the right receivers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, And this is really about shoring up your playbook and then being able to execute on it effectively. Yeah. That's why I like that bronze, silver, gold, because it helps them feel, yes, you are making improvement. You haven't reached there yet, but you are making improvement. And that's something that people... People need to people see need wins, just short-term just, wins. Short-term wins, or just even improvement. And mm-hmm. when you guys said initially, I think it was our first or second show ever, that people try for years to get the ball dredge. And I remember my first thought is, no way. I would be so 10 disappointed. 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be so disappointed. But the fact of the matter is, you're already getting better. Yeah. Every time Correct. you, you know, just keeping on the journey. Right. Correct. And there, by the way, are ways to accelerate it, which is something we talk to the market about all the time. That's really what we do is help right. uh, help organizations. It, it, it's sort of the difference between sending away for an architectural plan and then building your house that you've never really built before. Yeah. Right. Um, versus having someone help you frame it out. You're still doing all the key decisions, right, in terms of wall coverings, floor coverings, whatever. But it's a whole lot faster to have some structural work off. <laughs> that framework helps a lot. It helps a lot. So, okay. Well, we've seen, we've seen two, two, as I think I talked about, the mindset of it. One is if you're trying to pursue this journey to win the award, you're not going to win the award. You'll be frustrated. Right. Um, the other is how you uh, often many of them feel you have to bring in consultants to help this. And, as, and certainly consultants can help, but... They also end up being a crutch because 
This is about really looking at how you uh, do your day-to-day operations. And if it's not embedded throughout the organization from leadership down to all the employees, it's not going to work. So if it's an outside sort of consultant helping and doing all the work, you end up failing as well. Mm. That's so that's so we call true. that we call it peak and valley consulting engagements yeah mm-hmm. you bring a consultant in and you get better for a little while and the consultant leaves and you drop right back down to and then you have to bring it back in bring right. it right back in <laughs> that's how the work yeah. is so the idea is to actually instead of consulting you're supporting them you're empowering them and giving them tools that that allow them to be more effective uh and and reach their own level of, of sustainable performance. We have a tagline that we use, um, David, that is uh, your strategy, your talent, we help you win. The notion of win is what are your strategic priorities you're trying to win at, right? It could be, right. It could be yeah. something like uh, workforce uh, retention or uh, a quality, you know, high reliability, organ- whatever, the idea is that you know you've got a strategy, you've got talent. What, what we want to do is just come alongside and help you accelerate that and win. Right. All right. So thank you for that on the quality focus. Let's switch now um, to our last two, which are are kind of voluminous. It's this intersection between leadership, which really sets the environment for this and supports it, and is largely responsible for success or failure based on their actions. And then the workforce and the notion of what you had talked about before, the third person plural disconnects, the you know, we versus us and, and they versus them. So can you just take that topic a little bit, David, for us again, based on last week's conversation and what you've seen with your members? Talk to us first about leadership and then workforce engagement. The number one thing that we see that distinguishes high-performing healthcare organizations and our members from those who are struggling is the administrator and the director of nursing and then the unit managers and leaders there. Um, Both stability there, but they need to be working as a team. And I think when they are working to empower the staff to make sure they have the resources and time to provide the care. And so I think you talked a little bit also about you know, being more efficient and, you know, not more is not always better. And sometimes leaders tend to throw more at it. Uh, What we see is those leaders who sit back and ask the staff for what's going to work and how to help them solve the problem and they lead the problem and then they make sure they have the resources and techniques to get there. That's what distinguishes the leadership out there. Those leaders who are telling the staff what to do you know, it starts to border on micromanaging. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because when I talk to a lot of leaders, they all will describe at some point in their career, and I've had it, and, and this is very hard to do because I violate this principle myself all the time. It is very um, hard, yeah. Yeah, where, you know, someone above you has told you you have to do X, Y, and Z, and you roll your eyes and you say, well, you know, if you ask me, I could tell you that's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but... But then when we get in a leadership position, we do the same thing. And I've done it myself over oh and gosh, over again. That's and so true. So how do, you, how do you say, well, there's a problem, how would you solve it, is a much more strategic way for leadership to get involved. And, and we somehow forget that position as we move up because we've been mentored in the wrong way. 
Right. Right. And so that, by the way, is a connection back when Dr. Morton Hansen will talk about this uh, on the do less than obsess. The opposite of that is do more than stress. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and the reason a lot of frontline workers struggle is because they have do more bosses. Mm-hmm. Right. So so every they take on everything and then they push it downstream, not realizing that for every strategic priority, there is a cascade of initiatives and action <laughs> items that can be literally a blizzard for the front line to try to sort their way through and figure out, right? Well, one of the things I recommend people do, and I think of mistaken leaders and how to engage staff since we're talking about these two uh, topics, is what I often refer to as end of one trials. And what I mean by that is when we pilot test, and almost everyone pilot tests, many people pilot test over, you know, weeks to months. They do it throughout their whole organization. They want to have, you know, get good measurement on everything and then sit down and figure it out. I've never seen when someone rolls out a new program that it works as, a, as designed and uh, quickly you figure out, uh, I mean, within days, right. that there's what you designed and thought was going to work, no matter what planning, isn't going to work. So I recommend in healthcare that the when you're doing something new, you test it with one resident, with one staff, on one unit for one day. That's the N of one. Just everything is one. Now, clearly, if you're testing how you use a new piece of equipment uh, that requires two people, you have to have two people plus the resident doing it. I'm not talking about testing, like, you know, whether a new drug works or not. But if we're going to roll out a new form, if we've got a new policy, if we've got a new way of delivering care, test it once. You find out that you made a mistake, revise it. And now you've got a champion who's going to tell all the rest of the staff that we're listening to them. Over a week, you'll have made seven different changes to your processes and made it better. And uh, I think it's a much more effective. It really is rapid cycle quality improvement uh, out there at that level. Now, I, I would start with that default. If I, I think was that's a great idea. Besides, you know, one of the complaints that in healthcare being a frontline nurse for many years was oh it's one more thing oh we've got a new thing to try that a new leader has you know on their docket oh this too will pass or it fails and you complicate by having more people so this model the end of one really does eliminate a lot of that frustration for the masses and that's in contrast to what i would say is the thou shalt memo and the one and done more uh, meetings, more meetings, more team. memos. Yes. <laughs> so I was thinking when you were saying that a good colleague of ours, uh, Dr. Roger Spoolman, uh, describes how in some of his turnaround CEO work, he would have to help the leadership team recalibrate on time because they were all working off monthly activities, quarterly activities, annual activities, and as if that couldn't change. So he mm-hmm. said, look, we're just going to, on this particular problem, kind of like your your N of one trial, David, he would say, okay, so we're going to do the math where one month equals one year, one week equals three months, one day equals essentially three weeks, mm-hmm. right? So now in that shortened cycle, how are you going to yeah. solve that problem this month? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just, it, what he was yeah. doing was just helping them change their framework to think differently where what they were they were doing is they were having a cadence of we meet every month on this mm-hmm. he's like no 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 
you need well, to meet daily, if daily we need to. on this, yeah. right? Or, right. You know, and, and you, but you can't do that on everything. Like to your point, David. I mean, you you yeah. have to decide what you're going to focus on and make it essentially an N of one trial, right? We had a lot of members starting to adopt, and a lot of our Baldrige pursuing what's called huddles. And right. you know, I think many of the re, uh, listeners will be familiar with it. You know, where the team gets together really quickly uh, in a quick huddle, quickly runs through what things are going on, and, and uh, sort of readjust to what the what needs to happen because in healthcare things are changing all the time people are getting sick and not sick and someone needs a little bit more care and what's happening so getting together quickly but they've also figured out how to use this to roll out something new quickly get together how, is it working is it not working how do we change it okay let's modify it and then they change it on the you know on the fly Recalibrate. and then the next time they get together they huddle the next day the next shift and they're always modifying it and so that can be a very effective strategy too yeah absolutely and they're empowered and yeah, they're so empowered it's right it's, it's the staff that are doing it not mm-hmm. the management telling right. them what to do right right so to connect the dots for the listeners based on what we talked about with structures that can support your quality journey what you're describing, David, actually is uh, something that is in, incorporated into strategy deployment. It's called yeah. catchball. And basically what happens is you have a monthly cycle with leaders. You have daily huddles, like you said, on readjusting for things or rolling out something new. And then the two connect in a weekly rounding process. And what it has the power of doing, if it's structured right, is it just kind of cuts through the meeting stew and allows the organization to line up on strategic priorities and make sure they have a repeatable cadence to make sure that happens. And the, and the daily huddle is a huge part of it, but it's not as effective without weekly rounding and the monthly cadence that mm-hmm. leaders have right. to do on where we're at with strategic priorities. Absolutely. I love that a lot of this is not just about healthcare. These are things for every business, That's right. small or large. These sure. are things... You know that that cross all sorts of workforces, and I love the part about leadership. We talk about this a lot, and someone who Lisa and I have been on the front line of things probably a lot more than you, Ben. Oh, <laughs> but be but it is it is very hard to find good leaders who empower you, and good leaders who ask you on the front lines, "How would you do this?" Mm-hmm. And when they do, it could be transformational. Well, think of that. Think of that story that you told us last week, Doctor Gifford, about Kennedy and yeah, literally asking the cleaner, "What is he doing? I'm helping a man get on the moon." I mean, that really yeah. is how every Baldridge, every organization who's really committed to their mission, that's how they see their job and how it connects to the overall, you know, goals of the organization. So let's leave this question with the listeners as we talk about leadership, and that is. Why would people want to follow you? Very is it, good. Is it because you're smarter than them? Is it because you have authority and they better listen to what you have to say? Why is it that they should follow you? The, the answer should be because you are supporting the mission of the organization and empowering them to be successful. So they'll follow you anywhere because you've got their back. Mm-hmm. You've got their back. That's great. Right. So David, any other closing thoughts? We so appreciate you being on for both weeks. I've really enjoyed this, the, the, this two weeks time. It's been fun to reflect on it and uh, fun to talk to you all. Well, thank you keep, very much. And keep up the good fight. Like again, oh, absolutely. You are, you're doing such great work and such necessary work. We can't applaud you enough. And well, as you said, you. this is long-term care, people getting older, less workforce. I mean, this is nothing that's going away. Baby that's boomers. exactly right. Going up. Yeah. Yep. All right. 
Thank you so much to everyone who listened and for everyone who joins us on Leader Dialogue, brought to you by the Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. You can listen to a new live show every Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. We appreciate you following us or tune in and have any one of our podcasts that we've done. We keep them all on record for you. On behalf of Ben, Lisa, and our producer, Mike, I'm Duffy Dixon. Join us next time on Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X. 